0: Hello and welcome to The Thing About Golf, the podcast series from Golf Australia magazine that explores the many and varied reasons that people get hooked on this truly ludicrous game. My name's Rod Murray and I'm your host on this regular dive into the psyche of golfers, a show where we meet everyone from world-class pros to lifelong double-digit duffers at every level of player, administrator and entrepreneur in between. Today, we're going to meet a man who's spent the best part of 45 years adjudicating on animal scrapes and penalty drops, but to believe that European Tour Chief Referee John Paramore is merely a rules official would grossly underestimate his contribution and commitment to the game. We'll meet John in just a moment, but first, a few bits of housekeeping, and I wanted to start by saying a big thanks to all those who've been in touch ...since we started the show. My Twitter inbox has several messages with suggestions from people all over the world. Lots of ideas for guests and topics to discuss. And while we probably won't get to all of them, they are greatly appreciated. And I can guarantee you that some have gone on the ever-growing thing about golf target list. If you'd like to contribute an idea for a guest, or even just to compliment or complain about the show... ...you can find me on Twitter at at Rod underscore Morrie, that's capital M-O-R-R-I... And my direct messages are open, so I don't need to be following you for you to get in touch with me. The show also has its own handle at, at @thinggolf. that's capital T-H-I-N-G, capital G-O-L-F. It's a good idea to follow that one just to keep up with our latest episodes. You can, of course, email us Just golf at golfaustralia.com.au. The magazine's also on Facebook. Just search for Golf Australia Magazine, and that way you'll always have the latest info about what's going on at the mag, as well as what's in it, and what's going on with the podcast. Now, to make sure you never miss an episode of the show, just go to Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or Google Podcasts, and subscribe. From then on, you won't even have to do anything. The show will just magically turn up on your device, ...whenever we release a new episode. There's direct links to all of those apps on the podcast webpage at golfaustralia.com.au. Just navigate there on your smartphone or tablet. Click the link to your preferred podcast app and you'll be good to go. Now, if you've done all that and you like what we do each couple of weeks, there are two ways that you can help us out. The best is to share the show with others. If you follow along on Twitter or Facebook... Retweet or share whenever you see a new episode is out. The other way is to leave a review in Apple Podcasts or your preferred podcast listening app. Now, finally, if you're a new listener, welcome aboard, but don't forget to have a listen to the back catalogue. We're up to episode 13, but there's been some great stuff in the previous 12 shows, including the two Peters, Lonard and Senior, golf writer John Huggan, and not to blow our own trumpet, but an award-winning episode with Boogle Dunes owner... Richard Sattler. You'll find all of those episodes at the podcast page at golfaustralia.com.au. Click the podcast tab, or you can make it easy for yourself and have a look in the show notes below. It's down there, along with all the other links that I've already mentioned. Okay, that's enough of the homework. Let's get on with today's episode, and what a pleasure it was to record this particular show. John Paramore might be the best known rules official in the world. He's a regular sight to anybody who watches the European Tour and a guaranteed fixture at any significant men's golf tournament from the Masters to the Open and, of course, the Ryder Cup. But Paramore is much, much more than a rules expert. He's been part of the European Tour as we know it since it began life in the mid-1970s. He was barely out of school when the opportunity came up to work for what was at the time a fledgling organisation that would grow to become something beyond his and frankly everybody else's, wildest dreams. A passionate lover of the game and an admirer of its very best exponents, Paramore has had a front row seat to some of the great moments in modern golf. From Seve to Tiger and Rory, backstopping in the Patrick Reed affair, nothing is off limits in this conversation, which I hope that you enjoy as much as well, I John Paramore, first things first, we always start by saying thank you for your time. It's terrific of you to, uh, to sit and chat with us. My pleasure. Will you say that now. Let's see, see how you feel about it <laughs> uh, at the end. Just coming across here to the room, I mentioned to a cute few people I was going to chat to you and we bumped into a few people. You're like the mayor of golf, John. There's nobody that seems to not know you. How long have you been at this? Um, this is year 45. Wow. That's a long time to spend in any job. Yes, it is. It's it, it, sports it That must be almost unheard of.
1: Well, if you, if you find something that you like... Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you'll probably stay in it for a while. If you find something that you love, you'll stay in it for even
0: longer. What do they say? It doesn't even feel like work. You've Absolutely never worked a day right. in your life. What's your official title with the
1: European Tour? Uh, my official title is Chief
0: Referee. And what did
1: you start as? I started
0: as Trainee Rules Official. Mm-hmm. And Trainee was probably appropriate because, in reality, the European Tour, when you started, was really only just kicking off, wasn't it? what was the state of the Tour at that time? It was just in its infancy, and... Uh, there were very few
1: players uh, who used to play full-time tournament mm-hmm. golf. We used to have a few visitors um, actually from Australia and South Africa who were full-time tournament players. But there were very few other players on the European tour where it was their sole income just playing golf tournaments. That didn't really happen. Most of the guys had to have an alternative Form
0: of employment. So, what year was that? Seventy. That would be the end of the seventies. Seventy-five. So, when did it become a reality that, as a youngster, you could think to yourself, you could play golf for a living full time?
1: I think once we turned the decade and we got into the eighties, mm-hmm. and um, there was a, a, a young, dashing Spanish player uh, who most people remember as Sevi, who mm-hmm. just started the explosion. Yeah, and it from that point forward. Um, the prize funds were going up fantastically quickly. We were getting more and more tournaments. We were filling the year and it really was, um, it was an an incredible place to be. I mean, I came in as a trainee rules official four years later, I'm a tournament director Mm -hmm. and running my own tournaments. And, um, you know, four years after that, I'm, I'm busy, busy trying to get as many staff as I can to join the team
0: so that we can take it further forward. Yeah. So exciting times in the 80s. Indeed, but growth like that brings challenges as well. What do you remember about some of the difficulties? Because, of course, that's what you want. You want the business to grow, but sometimes a business can grow too fast.
1: Yes, it can. And um, certainly, uh, I, I remember in the early days of the Madrid Open, it was uh, at, a, at a beautiful club uh, called Puerta de Hierro in Madrid. And uh, a very, very well-known club for the uh, upper levels of society Uh in in Madrid. And uh, it was a royal club, obviously. And um, two marvellous golf courses there. But we were kind of tolerated. They wanted to have a tournament. Yes, they did. But we were tolerated in the Uh early days. And there was no such thing as player lounges where players could go and eat and um in in terms of of ranges they just didn't exist there was a practice ground and players were expected to bring their own golf balls (laughs) and um i wasn't supplied with a buggy so when i hired my car having landed at the airport that was my mode of transport to go to rulings on the golf course on the golf course
0: what sort of a car (laughs)
1: I used to get something which hopefully was fairly rugged, but, but back, in those, in back in those days you couldn't get Jeeps or anything like that. Wow. So it was a, a case of getting something small that would be fairly cheap to replace should I damage should it.
0: <laughs> drive it into a bunker or, a or something, something similar. I listened to you talking about that, John. The changes in golf and in particular professional golf have been almost unbelievable for somebody who started When you did? This is an impossible question to answer, but I think you'll understand the point of it. If back then, if you'd looked forward, could you have ever seen where we are here? You now travel around the globe probably a couple of times a year on average, I'm guessing, to all points of the compass. You're here in Australia this week. You were here at the President's Cup, I saw you, which is where we organised to do this interview. You were here for the PGA Championship. You've been coming here for many years. I can't imagine that any of that, if somebody had said to you then, this is where you'll be one day, well, first of all, you'll still be here in 45 years. You couldn't have imagined that. That, I, yes. this job. Exactly. But that you'll be flying around the globe, that players will have their own planes, that the game would be where it is today. I imagine you would have thought someone said that they were mad.
1: I sometimes um, uh, sit back and, and think about all of these things that the players do have today. And yes, the rewards are fantastic. They really are if you're at the top of your game. Uh, but I also see the other end of it. And I see the guys um, who are trying, they're striving to get there. And and I see the kind of um, uh, sacrifices that these young people have to make to try and get to the top. And I know in my own small way, I've had, I have sacrificed being at home, being with the family, watching my children grow up. Um, yes, I've seen for, for, for certain times, but I've missed an awful lot of birthdays and anniversaries and school plays and all that sort of thing.
0: Skype and FaceTime are terrific, aren't they? But they're yeah, not they the are. same.
1: But, but they, they the haven't same. been around for that long. That's exactly, either. and
0: it's only a recent construct. That's right.
1: And, um, but, Yes, back in the eighties, we were we were thinking that having a driving range would be absolutely fantastic, you know. Even with players buying the balls <laughs> out of a machine, <laughs> would, would have been a, a great stride,
0: luxury, forward. as they say, that the, the great modern sports Absolutely,
1: absolutely, luxury. And um, so it was it was very difficult to to imagine mm. that it would happen this way we we were kind of always watching america because they were growing also massively quickly and and even in some cases more quickly than, than than us but we still had a lot of talented players who who didn't go to america and that helped us in developing our tour and and, and making it go forward and that is always now the 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 challenge for us all uh, around the world is is And we celebrate our players becoming qualified to play on the PGA Tour and play for those imaginable riches that they do on a weekly basis. But it's nice when they do come back and support their local tour. It was great when Cam Smith and Adam Scott came back and played in the PGA at at, uh, the end of last year. It's good to see. And I know that Greg was very keen in the old days in coming back. And it's quite difficult for the guys when they've been playing a, a big schedule in America, sometimes then traveling internationally because of being invited somewhere for a, for a huge, well, inducement, should we yeah. say. And then, you know, they, they, they almost make their homes in America. And, it, and it's difficult for them to come back every year. And we, we, we know that. But we know also that um, home is a big pull. Uh, for a lot of players I mean, we, want, we want to make them feel very welcome When they do come back And that's what we're striving to do So at least we've got um, We've got our better players For a, 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 a short time at least And we use them uh, To to help us you know, Promote our tour
0: Money in golf And I think you've outlaid it neatly there Is really a double edged sword isn't it It is It comes with perks And it yes. comes with challenges We feel it very sharply here in Australia, as you know, we used to have eight, nine, ten, 11, 12 tournaments, a full season down here you could legitimately play. We're down to three, possibly heading for two in the not-too-distant future, which is, which is sort of awkward. Which brings us to something I wanted to bring up a little bit later, but let's talk about it now neatly. So in the last two weeks, we've seen the launch of this Premier Golf League this yes. year. Right which, again, <clears throat> funnels things up yes. to the already top players. What happens to golf under those circumstances? Have you had time to process? I know the plans haven't been fully laid out, but what, it's not the first time it's been suggested. What are your thoughts on that type of notion?
1: Well, certainly Greg um, was behind uh, a move some years ago to, to have the, the better players play more often together. And he recognised, he, because he was an international player, you know, he did seek uh, a life uh, of golf worldwide rather than just in america Mm -hmm. and he wanted to see that with a lot more of the players and provide an opportunity for those players to do it and um, there were so many good things about his proposal but at the end of the day uh, the top american players had everything they wanted in america Mm -hmm. And it was only people like, like Greg and the, the occasional uh, player from America who wanted to see these foreign sites who was interested in doing a similar sort of thing. But it did uh, provide the tours with a lot of good information and the, um, the will to try and make a series of very, very large tournaments mm-hmm. Where the big players would congregate and play against each other more than just outside the majors. You know, we 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 needed to. We have the majors where everybody turns up and it's brilliant competition. Three of them
0: are in America, though. That's the Uh, problem
1: with them. Absolutely, and the players for most people uh, is also kind of a a, kind Mm -hmm. of a Mm
0: semi-major. Nicely, so nice, neatly dodged. Yeah, semi-major See, Now you're in both camps. Well, fantastic. you know, it,
1: it's it's I, I I love the championship. It's I've got a case to times. make. It, 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 if any tournament, it, board,
0: it has a case to make. It's whether you agree done. or not, that it is or isn't, it's Absolutely. it's got the case to make. So,
1: and so we came up with the the idea of the World Golf Championships, and uh, so the Federation of PGA Tours, who were really the the organisation who developed them. Um, came up with this idea again. Most of them have have kind of funneled their way back to the United States Um, which is fine Um, we understand that that you know, it it is a bigger market and after all it's where the money is Mm -hmm. so, um Yes, they they started really out out of greg's uh, original proposal This new one from from saudi arabia um We'd heard rumors I know some players had been spoken to, and in the last couple of weeks, there's been more open um,
0: uh, they've negotiations, gone, they've gone public essentially. They've said, "Right, yeah, but we're, we're ready to make our move."
1: And um, I believe that we have um, we've advised our players. You know that we've uh, been the European the Tour, European right? Tour, mm-hmm. as the PGA Tour have, mm-hmm. and um, I think just as an assurance that you know the, the tours are still here, guys. And, you know, we, we are your your organisations and we will try and help you with everything we possibly can. Um, but we also have a business to run that you've been very happy to be a part of and we want you to, you know, be a part of it going forward. So, you know, let's just just hang on without sort of jumping, you know, jumping ship too quickly. So I think, uh, well, we'll see what happens with, with that particular uh, uh, system. But... Um, we like to think that the the members-owned tours are where the players should be. And the European tour, the PGA tour, uh, they are player-owned tours. PGA of Aust- Australasia, a player-owned organisation.
0: Broadly, the concept seems quite simple and obvious, doesn't it? Get the best players in the world to play against each other more often. Yes. The reality is somewhat more complex like most human constructs, isn't mm-hmm. it? First thing being the places we want to see the best players play against each other are the important tournaments. And you don't just yes. create important tournaments overnight. We just had no. a joke about the Players' Championship, which has been this argument about major or not has been going for years. So as simple as the concept seems, it's not as obviously going to be successful Correct. as you might think. What about that broader notion, John, of funnelling things up? We've seen the European Tour has almost split into a it's the wrong way to put it, but almost a three-tier tour. You have the Rolex Series events, the regular European tour events. If you qualify from the qualifying school, you don't get access to everything uh, as once was. It, it, we've seen that continues to happen. The World Golf Championships are a prime case. It's a bit like the Australian cricket team. Once you're in the top 50, it's harder yeah. to get out yeah. than not. Are those things healthy? Rory McElroy said something really interesting when asked about the, the Premier Golf League, which was... He said, we've seen the game move from a competition format to an entertainment format in recent years. I, I didn't hear the tone of what he said. I only read the words. But do you agree with that? And what are some of the potential dangers of that?
1: Certainly our art commissioner, our boss, uh, Keith Pelly, has certainly been very upfront. We are in the entertainment business. Uh, the players are the entertainers. Uh, and the fact is, they play golf, they play it very well, and that entertains people. People want to watch that.
0: It's of no other value, is it? And no. <laughs> it no. contributes nothing else to the planet beyond entertainment. That's Absolutely.
1: But it, it it shows people what can be done. If you've got the skill and you're prepared to work at it, this is what you can become. Certainly, me as a lad growing up, I I saw a little bit of television and that made me want to go out and be as good as a Jack Nicklaus or a mm-hmm. or a Gary Player or or or, the, or a Tom Weisskopf or whatever Arnold Palmer. It's it, it it's 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 a lovely game and it and it's played by a lot of people. Admittedly, society has changed. We know now that there is much more of of, uh, couples bringing up their children rather than just mum at home bringing up the children. Things have changed. I know my my own uh, sons have kind of uh, taken a a sabbatical from golf uh, because they've got young children and, you know, they need to play their part. I was very lucky when I was growing up, and uh, my wife did most of my, my children's upbringing. Uh, when I when I wasn't working for the tour and it's it's kind of so society has changed that has affected golf. Um, but thankfully, there are there are more spectators, there's more interest in the game now and seeing golf played well is what people want. But, you know, we it's very easy to talk about tournaments where there is just the cream playing. But somewhere along the line, you've got to create. Well, where's the cream coming from? Where's the next cream? Um, because, funny enough, cream does go off after a period of time. It rises to the top. Exactly rises, right, exactly. and then it
0: sits in the sun, and before yes. long, it's no longer edible.
1: So that's the problem that that we have to sort out. And the tours have been doing that successfully for for a long time, and most people would say that they've done it fairly well. Um, but it's it's so yes. This is an interesting development that's 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 come out of I I, I presume uh, for the main part out of Saudi out of the Middle East a UK group and, with and a UK, seems yes. seems to be there yes seems to be there and it's um, you know I I wish them well but in in many ways you know the the tours are here to support the players with what they want to do what and they, where they want they try to
0: poach you. God, they'd be uh, looking for Sad- the best rules officials, wouldn't they, with all that money washing around. Sandy I'm, I'm, I'm old and broken. <laughs> <laughs> old and wise might be, uh, might no, be no. more the term. Do you get a sense – we'll finish up on this in a moment because I, I, I agree, there's an awful lot to play out. By the time this comes out, everything might have changed completely. Yes. But Do you get a sense from the top players, who you interact with on a fairly regular basis in your job – they would all know you, we know everyone yeah. knows you, you're the Mayor of golf – do you get a sense amongst the top players that they feel – they're not getting the share of the revenue they perhaps deserve. The thinking seems to go that there's a there's a group amongst the top players, at least, who look at 156 player fields and say, quite rightly, all the people watching on television aren't interested in the bottom 75. In fact, they're probably not interested in the bottom 100. In fact, they're probably not interested in the bottom 120. That there's really only a handful. Of players who move the needle, much as I hate the term, and that those players deserve a big share of the pie. Is there anything? Do you have you ever sensed that from the players? And is there anything legitimate about that? Just, is Tiger Woods underpaid? Would be a simple way to put it.
1: Um, well, we all hear of, of figures being banded around, and I'm not uh, party to what Tiger Woods earns from the game. I, I think he earns a pretty, pretty decently twenty
0: million living. US in career earnings. Yeah, and then you can calculate your own endorsements, and all that. but but just on the court, yeah. which is roughly the same as Novak Djokovic, yes, who's been at the game ten years less than what Tiger's been at. Golf. Yes, so as a rough comparison, one hundred and twenty million in.
1: I think um, twenty five years. I think that the figure m- might be slightly higher. No, well, that's just um, US, that doesn't, Europe, yeah. and there's a, he's a lot more money. So, and but, but that
0: broader, is there something in that, just do, as an idea? I'll do I give. think
1: he's worth, it. I think oh, I think the best no, golfers, no question he's worth. once they've shown that they are the best golfers, are, are entitled to be uh, rewarded or appropriately compensated. Um, and I wouldn't like to get into a discussion whether I think it's enough. I think only Tiger can can decide that. Does he move the needle? Of course he does. Does Rory? Yes, he does. And, um, you know, without putting too fine a point on it, I'd say a little silent prayer to both of them when I go to bed at night. Thanking <laughs> them thank thank for staying fit and playing. Yeah, as do I. As I did with Seve in, in days gone by and, and with Tony Jacklin before him. Yes, we all need our top players, and we need our top players firing on all cylinders and driving the game forward for us yes we do but we need also the whole base of the tour behind them
0: because you don't create those top players exactly. from nothing and that, that seems to me the issue exactly. of this you know of the potential for this side uh, this golf premier league interesting idea let's talk about some other things. let's talk about your own history yeah, the podcast is called the thing about golf mm-hmm. so what is the thing about golf for john paramore
1: it's it's a game that you can play against someone else and you can play it on your own and have just as much fun because you've got your biggest adversary, which is yourself, and the second adversary is the course you're playing on. And um, I used to love practising. I used to enjoy the friendship of playing with friends. I made some fantastic friends through the game. And through my my father's um, uh, love and also his, his music that he used to write at home, um, I couldn't watch uh, any musical program on TV, and um, because of his work, a musical program came on the TV. I had to turn over. It was the early days of BBC Two in the United Kingdom, and they were showing the Big Three um, golf tournament. Oh. You know, they were taking any sort of footage they could find to put on this mm-hmm. this new programming channel. So I watched that, and um, it was just an hour-long program, and then I went to bed. A week later, exactly the same scenario. Dad's upstairs in the office um, writing music. Couldn't have any music. Top of the Pops came on, switch over. It's the big three. So so
0: he couldn't have music on in the background, interrupting him. So you had to change the channel to something that wasn't right. Absolutely.
1: So what he was doing tuned me into a program, which was golf.
0: So in a funny way, your father introduced you to golf. He did. With absolutely no golf. (laughs)
1: <laughs> Absolutely, so I went upstairs to Dad And I, I was, uh, what, 11 years of age at the time And I was just starting to beat him at tennis That was uh-huh. his only kind of sport <laughs> that he would partake in I said, Dad, can we take some golf lessons? And he said, yeah, why not? And he booked up the golf lessons And, and that's how it started
0: It, it always astounds me These <clears throat> extraordinary moments That change. Like Here you are, yes. 65 years later Still, golf is still the central part of your life. That could easily not have happened for you.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, people hear about the golfing bug. Mm -hmm. Well, I tell you, this bug bit me so hard. I wanted to play um, to start off with. Uh, I was never any good. You know, I made county standard, a couple of county teams. Um, Better than most of us, John. (laughs) Trust me. No, it's just very, very ordinary golf. And I was kind of one handicap, and
0: uh, I'll show you some I, ordinary golf if you want to keep going down that line. Yes.
1: <laughs> so that that kind of that stimulated the, the the urge to to want to play it. I then went caddying for a year, and I realised I, I wanted to find out how good the players were, and I realised, good heavens, they're a lot better than I thought they were. <laughs> yeah. And uh, so that, after a year, I realised that that was not the future for me. And I was going to go into sound recording uh, with the BBC, had all the forms and everything filled out. And then the chap I was uh, calling for was, was a man called Peter Butler, who was a former Ryder Cup player, tournament winner. And he was at the sunset of his career. And uh, he said, look, he was also on the, the, the policy board of our, of the European tour. And he said, would you like an interview to try and become a, 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 you know, he knew I liked the rules as well. And he said, would you like to um, train as a a rules official under George O'Grady and Tony Gray? And I thought about it for about a millisecond and (laughs) said yes.
0: If the choices are this or that, I'm all in on, on that. Did you know immediately, I think you get a sense sometimes, don't you, even though you can't possibly know, but you get a sense sometimes that you've found your place in the world did you feel that immediately i did i
1: did yeah dad was also one of these guys who said if you find something that you love and you can do that it ceases to be a job because that's he felt that with music i felt that with golf Uh and um i knew within a short space of time even though it was it was a fairly stiff learning curve you Mm. know i had to learn the business quickly uh, as I said, I had this morbid fascination for the rules, but you know, that may, that did not make me, uh, anywhere near an expert. I was still not, but, uh, you know, I, I wanted to, um, I wanted to try and be the best that I could. Dad also told me that's what I had to do. And, uh, so I've had a good go at it. And, um, I've loved almost every single step of the way. Obviously, you have the occasional bad day, but it's, uh, for the most part, you know, I have had the best job in the world. Yeah. And if anybody wants to argue that, please, come on. (laughs)
0: Let's split it into two things, and we'll talk about both. Let's firstly talk about the rules of the game. Yeah. Golfers have the most bizarre relationship with the rules of the game. Yeah. We hate them. We're convinced we could make them simpler overnight, despite evidence to the contrary where smart people like yourselves lock yourself in rooms for weeks and months on end to try and achieve these things, and it's never quite that simple. What do you think the, the role of the rules is? It, it almost feels to me like in the modern era, I know we've just changed the rules in 2019, in the modern era we, we might need to move more that way, where we might actually almost end up with a set of recreational rules and a set of competition and professional tournament rules. Could you see that perhaps one day being the case?
1: I think we've probably got that anyway. I'm, um, you know, certainly when I, when I've played golf for the last few years, even though I haven't played too much, uh, when I've when I've played recreationally, I've noticed that most people have their own rules <laughs> yeah, <that's> anyway. Very,
0: <laughs> very true. That's but very it's true.
1: The um the fascination for our game is that it's one of the few games where it is self-regulating. Mm-hmm. We all do our own rules, and we expect that everybody we're playing with knows the rules and plays the rules and has the same high standards that you have yourself. That is why whenever, um, you know, someone is exposed as someone who is, shall we say, or well, some people say it's cheating... Uh, For the most part, it's people breaking the rules. Breaching, that's right. Breaching. Which is a difference. Yeah. And for the most part, you have to have a complicated rule book to make sure that you cover everything to make sure that people are playing fairly. Mm.
0: Well, it's a complex game, isn't it? Yes, it is. is. You can lose the central piece of equipment at any given time. You can. (laughs) Which is not true in any other game that I can think of. But
1: it is, and the fascinating thing about it, it is all based on common sense. Mm but we all know that that's not all too common. <laughs>
0: no, that's exactly
1: and um but it is a self-regulating game and therefore you need a complicated set of, of rules and regulations to look after it, to make sure that, you know, people are kept on the straight
0: and narrow. So there are two things at play there. Yeah. One is particularly at the higher levels of the game, the responsibility of the players to know the rules, to know that they're playing by them. And then two is the integrity of the players. Absolutely. And this is where things get a little bit stickier, obviously. And I guess we can't avoid it. The elephant in the room is the Patrick Reed incident from the Hero World Challenge in the Bahamas. Yes. Without wanting to put you on the spot or get you in trouble. Did you have any thoughts about that? A lot of high-profile people have, have had their say, and we know what the ruling was. Did you have a take on that? I think you're retiring soon, aren't you? You can spill all the beans you like.
1: Yes, I'll, I'll wait for the two years. No, <laughs> it, it, um, it's an awkward situation, isn't it? It is. But what he did was he breached a rule. And um, professional golfers, you know, I've talked about the high standard that, that we have um, with our own recreational golf even. Mm-hmm. You know, we expect people to do the right yeah. thing. Saturday comp is a sacred. Well, thing. if you if you multiply that by Mm-hmm. x times x times x that's the professional golfer he expects there to be a level of integrity mm-hmm. that is beyond reproach Repraved, that's right and what patrick did didn't look good and if he says he didn't do it deliberately then that should be the end of it well, because that's where the integrity comes in you can't prove any other you can't, you can't prove any the any... only person he knows whether Sorry. he did it deliberately is patrick himself and if he says he didn't do it well that's kind of the way it is unless there's extreme uh, evidence and, and believe me you know i've been involved in a lot of these cases and uh f- for the most part i i can report that there are very few people who do not have this game in very high esteem hold it high so the
0: uh, willful cheats are very few
1: or less very few or very very clever um I I am sure that with the levels of prize funds at stake, I'm sure that there might be one or two uh, who are maybe getting away with things. I would like to think there isn't. And certainly, um, if we hear rumours or or any sort of uh, situation, we will... Uh, try and find out exactly
0: what happened. Just players talk, don't they? It's like any any audience. Yes. There's chatter about, there's the boardroom meeting where everybody's on record, and then there's what people talk about around there. Absolutely. You would be privy
1: to a lot of that chatter, I imagine. But, you know, we we do have to base our our stuff on facts. Of course. And that sometimes is difficult to get hold of because people, you know, view certain instances and, and incidents in a different way. And um, so it's it, it's getting to the bottom of the business that uh, that we have to do, and sometimes that's quite difficult. But you know, we we have had um, in in my short career, forty five years, we have had um, two, three players who have basically been caught and convicted of of doing it willfully. Yeah. and. Um, they were pretty stern punishments mm.
0: well, you have when, they, when they came down. Yeah, and it was circumstance. You don't have a referee with every group. It's not football or cricket where the referee makes a decision. It's a, a different thing. In those cases, for the most part, do you think most of those people are serial offenders or have made a poor decision under pressure, which has then, is then going to be with them for the rest of their life? Because you can imagine that for – certainly not for Tiger Woods or Rory McIlroy, there's no real pressures in terms of of money. They just – they're playing to win. But as we're going to come back to, as you mentioned at the start, the other side of golf is an awful lot of pressure and players can be under almost incalculable amounts of pressure, financial and emotional. You can see how it would be possible for somebody to make a very poor decision one-off under those circumstances. Yes,
1: it's normally... Uh, it, 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 the players that end up with the, with the sternest uh, penalties are normally the ones who do have a little bit of history and it's not right. the first time. So serial. Um, but there was one, one player, and, and to give you an idea, his, his father was a, a renowned sportsman, world-renowned sportsman in different sports. One of them was golf... Uh, but there were a couple of other sports and he was huge in his home country. So this is his son who who comes out and he's a fabulous player you know he actually swings it much better than his dad ever did and looked as if he was on the right course but whatever happened somewhere along the way you know the putting didn't quite work didn't hold enough putts and then we get to a situation where um, he's at the qualifying school and the qualifier is concluded and we get a call about three or four days later from a chap who had played with this, this fellow and said look I've just seen the results posted in the magazine and this guy did not go round in 72-72 he was 74 in the second round and said, well, hang on a minute, we'll go and get the scorecards. So went and got the scorecards, and the scorecards were duly signed by the person who was on the phone um, and um, the player who uh, had purportedly taken 72, 74. And this guy went through every hole score, and on the two uh, holes where it was different, the figures were smudged. And it looked as if they'd been changed from a six to a five, both of them. We had the card forensically examined. Wow. Um, one of our, our, our chaps, his sister, is a fairly high police uh, officer, fairly high ranking. And she was able to have it f- forensically um, uh, uh, examined. And they said these numbers uh, on balance look as if they have been changed and they told us what they thought the figures were originally, even though they couldn't do it, you know, absolutely, 100%. Final stand up in said. court,
0: but it was, yeah. compelling, I mean, enough it was, it was compelling enough for the European It was certainly compelling
1: enough for our committee mm-hmm. to make that decision. And I, I have no doubt that it was the pressure that that son felt with the father's accomplishments, that he felt he was being, you know, a, a letdown to the family name, and was only trying to get to the qualifying school. Yeah. And um, he was still arguing, so he never changed the card, he never changed the card, um, for weeks, months afterwards. And I think that he'd actually convinced himself that 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 he hadn't. Wow. But the guy that he played with, and it is unusual that someone does have it absolutely nailed on, but he did, and he said this is what he scored. So... I'm afraid, you know, we, we had no, to dole out a fairly stiff penalty to him.
0: Yeah. There's a personal tragedy going on there, isn't there, clearly? Particularly yes. if, if he can't. Yeah. that's sounds like he couldn't face and y- it You
1: know, that's nothing to be celebrated. No, no, no. And, and, and I, I feel desperately sorry for him, even though he's done something which I abhor. You know, he's, he's, he's tried to, to bend the rules to, for his
0: benefit, which is clearly wrong. You know, people all over the place who are listening to this are madly on their computers trying to find the accomplished sportsman in multiple yes, sports, including golf. So I won't ask you to give the name up, but when we turn the mics thank oh, you. That might be a little treat, yeah, just for me. Let's leave that behind. That's a, it's an unfortunate but distasteful yes. side of golf. For the most part, I think most players try to live by that creed of Bobby Jones: of yes. you might as well congratulate a man for not robbing a bank, because. Absolutely. Ultimately, certainly in amateur golf, recreational golf, the only person you ever cheat is yourself. Exactly, it? yes. Because the winnings are a ball or a yeah. $30 voucher. Yes. They're nothing of any value. And yeah. That's been to the good of golf, I think, uh, the rules of amateur status and not being able to win large sums of money. That would taint things uh, uh, beyond. Players themselves and personalities, you must have dealt with, and I know there's some famous cases, but I want to talk about just more generally – Yeah. Uh, – Dealing with players in situations that are of great import to them, obviously,
1: mm-hmm.
0: and they find themselves in a situation where they want a ruling to go a certain way, and they think they've got a case, and you have to say no. Yeah. I can't imagine that's easy, because I would imagine that for the most part, you like the players and get on well with them.
1: Yes, I, I, I don't get into a close friendship with any player, because that would be wrong, mm-hmm. Um. But, yeah, I, I hold them in, in high esteem, for, for one thing. Um, I, I really do admire them for the job that they do. Uh, but sometimes, in, in terms of, of rules issues, you know, sometimes they get a little bit confused with how the rule should be or, or at least their uh, role in, this they're, they're, they're this in it. This rule would be
0: much yes. better if, in fact, I was allowed to move that ball.
1: Yeah, and, um, you know, you can always argue a pretty good case for your own ball, but uh, it's yeah, – yes, I've, I've, I've had a lot of those. And all I try to do is, is do my best for the player. If there is a way that I can find to give him what he wants or at least get partially there, then I will give it to him.
0: Do the players know that about you, do you think? Do the um, players feel like they get a fair shake from you, which – I would think is important in your mind. I, I think
1: for the most part they do. Which doesn't mean they always at agree with you. The at the time, certainly they, they, they might not. I remember there was uh, recently, and I, I will say it was J.B. Holmes because I think it was quite funny. And, um, you know, we were in a gorse bush at St. Andrews. Uh, it, it's a course I know reasonably well. <laughs> yes. And it's a spot I know quite well, you know, right, with my, okay, with my right. sort of left to right shot. I'm, I've been in that bush many times. But he was trying to uh, persuade me that uh, he could play this stroke uh, from the position in the gorse bush and he could hit the TV tower. And I looked at it and I thought, well, there's no possible way he can actually get the club head onto it because there was a route immediately and directly behind the ball. And his angle of attack would have sent the ball straight up into the bush. It had to go that way anyway because of a huge lump in front of it. So... It's uh, applied physics, what
0: he was outlining to yes, you, absolutely.
1: <laughs> and so uh, I, I said, "Well, I'm, I'm sorry, but you know, I, I can't see any way that I can give you relief because it's not a reasonable stroke." And um, so he said, "Well, when did you play the tour?"
0: Hmm.
1: So I said, "Well, I, I've never played the tour. I'm sorry." He said, "Well, when did you turn professional?" I said, well, I've I've never uh, turned professional. So, well, what th- makes you think that you're qualified to tell me that I can't play that shot? And um, I did say, I'm sorry, JB, but we're not having that debate now. You know, I'm just telling you, you, you can't. Uh, you can either play it, or I'll help you to drop the ball unplayable, if you want. And... Um, I could have said, and it was right on the tip of my tongue, I said, you know, I've actually been giving rulings since before you were born, but I, I resisted the urge to I'd say, say the that. And, and he uh, couldn't play this shot. Yeah. <laughs> and, um, you know, he, he, um, he realised that, you know, when I finally said no, that clearly he couldn't play the shot, so he did declare it unplayable and i remember from my old um, uh, old days as a, as a mass scholar and i th- sort of mumbled under my breath qed as we <laughs> walked uh, as we walked out from the bush and there was clearly someone who understood a little bit of latin and he started laughing <laughs> when, I, when i said that and, uh, yeah, we, we, we went and
0: uh, he dropped his ball unplayable. See, now, I thought you were going to tell me that he'd made some sort of a quip and the irony of JB Holmes having a quick wit wouldn't be lost on anybody, I'm sure. No, so no, he,
1: he, he might have a wit, but it certainly isn't quick. <laughs> yes. No, but bless him, he's, he's a brilliant player and, and uh, he, he just felt strongly. That, that's an example, really, of how the guys feel, you know, that, that they absolutely have taught themselves into the fact that they are entitled to relief but without actually looking at it practically, which I have to.
0: Yeah, understood. Who's the hardest player you've had to say no to? Either because they have a death stare that's genuinely terrifying or because they're so charismatic that you want to go with them?
1: I think Sevi was pretty much up there, but you know, I, I, I had as many yeses as, as nos with him because uh, the one thing he could do is demonstrate how he could play a certain shot from an unbelievable position Whereas other players couldn't even dream of it. And I, and I knew that he could play the shot because I'd seen him play some incredible you know, shots off his knees, backwards, back of the club.
0: And probably all the other and players know that too. So I'd yeah. say, Paramore, what are you doing? Because you can just say, you know, exactly. it was yeah. Fair enough, then he probably could have done it. Absolutely. Indeed. You've had a front row seat. What have I have. some pretty amazing moments. What are the. What are the couple that sort of stand out for you that you know you're never going to forget? You would have been there for some really special ones, I'd imagine, for a... Over- I think
1: Ryder Cups, you know, that that's that's the the absolute icing on the cake for, for all of us professional referees uh, because it's the ultimate competition. Uh, admittedly, it is the uh, United States versus, uh, well, now Europe. It used to be Great Britain and Ireland uh, back when I first started. But um, when... Uh, we lost narrowly to America, in America, uh, in 83. There was the thought that we were going to do it in 85. We were going to win the Ryder Cup. And it had been a long time since we had. And so there was a great expectation. And on the eve of the matches, Tony Jack and the captain called um, myself and George O'Grady and Tony Gray and Ken Schofield, who were the kind of, we were the main guys within the company and I was just the field sort of side of things. And Tony allowed the team to rip into us as the tour executives to uh, let us know exactly what they thought, where we were going wrong and all this sort of stuff. And they really took lumps out of us, which was fine. You know, we, we, we kind of, um, we realised pretty soon what Tony was doing, because he had a little wry smile at the back there. You know, he was allowing the, the, the players to sound off and get rid of all their inhibitions in preparation for the match. And the next day, I uh, ended up refereeing the first game, and it happened to be Sevy. playing with Manuel Pinero. And um, it was one of those unbelievable situations that you, you get into a match and you think, there's no way that Sevi's not going to win this game. And um, we got to the, it was a first par five, and I think Pinero, who was a kind of a short hitter, he'd driven it in the fairway. And I could, I could speak a little bit of Spanish in those days, I certainly understand a lot more. And, um, and I listened to this conversation that Sevi was having with Pinero, and it was foursomes. And Seve was asking Pinero which side of the green he wanted a putt from. And this was a pretty lengthy par five in those days. And Seve was saying, well, you know, I can either, and explaining in Spanish, I can either cut the three-wood into the right-hand side and give you a sort of right-to-left putt, or I'll draw it and put it to the back left and give you the other putt. You know, what 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 sort of putt do you want? Do you want the left-to-right the left right-to-left? Right and I... And even Panero, I mean, his mouth started to open. <laughs> I could see his lips move. I don't think any sound came out, you know, but couldn't believe the confidence of the man. Yeah.
0: Especially in the circumstances. Oh,
1: absolutely. Everything to lose. Oh, Everything. yeah. And, the, and, you know, there were thousands of yeah. people there. And, you know, Savvy Julia obliged knocked it up on the green. And then we came to the 10th hole, famous 10th at, at the Belfry, uh, which is a drivable par four over water. And uh, I think the Europeans were either one or two up. And uh, Sevi came marching up onto the 10th tee. He wanted to be first out there. And um, we had the tees in a position, well, all week, where, you know, if you wanted to have a go, you could have a go. But not like today when the guys are knocking irons on there. No. And Sevi just went straight for the head cover, off, pulled the three-wood, and uh, actually, no. I think I think he'd drive in the morning. In the afternoon, I think he hit the three wood. He hit the driver over the green, just over the back of the green. Yeah, yeah I'm saying the shot. Off unbelievable YouTube. shot. And it was just so much positivity about the the man. The po- you know the positive energy and, the, and and the you know this winner's instinct
0: you could just feel just emanating from the man. Charisma. Yeah. And have you felt that from? I feel like. Two different players could hit the same shot, mm-hmm. and one would be you couldn't take your eyes off them, and the other would be, well, they're a golf pro. you expect that they'd hit that shot. Today,
1: you'd, you'd get that with Rory and Tiger. Mm. Uh, a few years ago, you got it from, from Greg Norman. In 1992, Nick Faldo. You just get anywhere near Nick Faldo. Wow.
0: What is it, John? They're all hitting the same shots in some
1: way. I think it, it's, they, they, get, they get so much in, in in charge of the game. They're playing it to such a high level that it's totally instinctive. They know, and it's just, I don't know, you can, you can feel that energy. And, uh, my God, you know, I've, I've been lucky enough to, to see that. I, I'd never really got to that close to Nicholas when he was at the absolute mm. pinnacle of his career, or, or Palmer. I have seen them play, obviously, and I'm very lucky to, uh, to have seen them play as well. But, um, no, I suppose my first real superstar was was Seve. Not a bad one, and stuff, uh, not a business. bad one. And uh, then, then I suppose there was there was Lee Trevino was was another one who could make a golf ball talk. And um, even though he was. Jo- Doing most of the talking yeah. himself. <laughs> That's right. You couldn't hear the golf uh, ball; he was yeah. drowning it out. But it was talking. And he, he played against dear Sam Torrance, who's uh, been struggling just just yeah, of late. And wish him
0: well. Yeah, absolutely.
1: And um, and Sam was, was sponsored by the same company as, as, as Lee, and they played in in Royal Cup singles, which I had the honour to referee. And um, Lee just well, it, it was an exhibition to watch how he just dismantled Sam. And Sam was playing nicely, but it was just an exhibition of
0: superlative golf by, him, by Lee. It's hard to believe there's different levels at that level, isn't yeah. it? But, but there are, and we see them occasionally. I think we saw it with, I don't know whether you followed Tiger on Sunday at the President's yeah. Royal Rumble, but it was a very special thing to be a part of, I think. I oh, felt quite God. privileged to see it. It was a just a player in so yeah. much control but on a golf course which allowed him to shine in a way that a lot of modern courses don't because of the way the game's changed. Was the game more entertaining? Then we do a lot of talking on all the podcasts I do about distance and how far the ball goes and this more homogenous sort of professional game we see and course setups. I'm not sure how much involvement you have with course setups, but narrowing the fairways and long rough and deep bunkers and all this is just try and control scoring. Is the game less entertaining in the modern era? Or perhaps the right question is, was it more entertaining when Seve and Greg and Nick played? Or is there a natural old man bias that we have? Because like the hill... It was grew better in my day. That, it was better it looked, in it looked day, like yeah. a steep hill when you were eight years old and you go back now and you're looking for it and all you can see is this tiny incline. Is that, is that what's at play? Or I often feel like... I don't feel the game's got more entertaining... And that doesn't mean the players aren't as good.
1: No, I, I, I totally understand. But I don't understand it. And I think there's, there's a few things in play here. Yeah. I think, yes, we, we have, uh, and we have the, the ability now with, with equipment, the way that it is, and with the, with the knowledge and know-how, we can set up golf courses so they are uber tough. Mm-hmm.
0: Where the recreational player doesn't understand. Oh, they, the, they would have no idea. A 10 marker couldn't shoot oh, 130 yeah. on a lot of tournaments. You
1: know, players. we'll give you eight hours to get round yeah, that's because right. you'll <laughs> like, need it. That's right. Um, but, you know, I, Rory said something. Um, he, he occasionally comes out with some, some interesting quotes, and, and he did say that we needed to, to be sterner with our setup. And it was interesting because we looked at the scoring averages um, on the PGA Tour and um, ourselves, and in fact, we was just slightly, um, you know, we, we we were less under par than than mm-hmm. America, uh, but a few of our tournament directors have taken that to heart. And and Dubai got yeah, there
0: was a lot of talk about Dubai just recently.
1: And you know, was did it make for? more entertainment it, it kind of was different i mean i i've always believed that the the vast vast, vast majority of, of of the public want to see birdies because they can you know relate to the fact that they can't do that mm-hmm. <laughs> very often yeah, of course. and they want to see birdies you know we can all take six out of the rough uh, i do frequently prove it to you right now yes well, go out there right now i'll probably yeah. take six from the greenside rough if you want me absolutely to. right and um so yes there, we we have to kind of Find that balance between allowing the players to show their talents and encouraging them to do so, uh, and providing a test for the, the guys at the very top of the game. And sometimes that balance—I'm uh, not sure—we get it absolutely 100 percent correct every time. It's not an
0: exact science, is it? No, it's not.
1: It's not. But you know, it's not—not not for the, the the want of trying. We, you know, we want, we want it to be the best. And um, you know, but we sometimes go a little bit too far. I mean, we've we've had the the, the problems at the U.S. Open a couple of times, mm. and that's been sad. Um, but you know, weather, which we have no control over, uh, sometimes can make us look very, very silly when you know, golfy administrators, and um, you know, I. Uh, when when this podcast goes out, I'm, I'm sure that um, you know this event that we're at here will will have passed beautifully and 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 I hope successfully. Um, but we we know that we have a green out there that uh, with this particular wind. Already. The ball will move. It's
0: Monday of tournament it's
1: week Monday at 13th An- 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 Beach,
0: by the way. And we're know,
1: saying, yeah. yeah, 13th There's Beach. There's already
0: right. a concern that you're across. Yes. Yeah, interesting.
1: And, you know, we're going to have to ask our, our, our super just to, we need to back off on that one. Okay. Otherwise, we'll be stopping play, and then that will be my decision. I and
0: will not be popular. No, that well, and I will give it to you with both power. <laughs> yes. How the hell can <laughs> they do this for 45 years and not understand how, Absolutely. To, how to get it right? We'll come back to some of that sort of stuff there. The simple question is, does the ball go too far? And what impact does that have on the game?
1: You know, I don't, I don't think it, it really does. I don't think anybody's given up the game, you know, claiming it's too easy. We all actually want to hit the ball further. Um, I, for my own part, I've, I've always felt that if, if we want, if we think that certain players are getting more advantage than others, then let's bring an a tour uh, specification for a golf ball. Is that feasible? I think that is feasible. It would. It would. Uh, the manufacturers would try and tell you no, it's, they couldn't do it. Politically difficult, wouldn't it? They could do it because I think it would. It would give them another
0: uh, market. But I do too. I think they would actually benefit. I don't understand why no. they resisted. But
1: but it it would be making a, a, another ball, in a different type of 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 speed off the club face. Um, but. Um, you know, would we enjoy F1 if it was, you know, F1 with a governor on it? Mm. I don't know. When when it all went super quiet, you know, people didn't enjoy it so much. They liked the real, you know, Thumping fantastic noise. noise. Yeah.
0: <laughs> so It feels to me that the difference for golf is, unlike most sports... The course is such an integral part of a competition. It's the mm. 157th player every week if you've got 156th yes. menfield. It is crucial to the competition, and there are courses that are revered because of the type of golf mm-hmm. that they demand. And I think Royal Melbourne is one. Mm-hmm. But even Royal Melbourne at the President's Cup felt somewhat disappointing because of the, the ability of the players to avoid so many of the hazards where the intent of the golf course, which is what makes it so intriguing, is somewhat lost. And we, we surely can't continue to grow golf's footprint in, in a world of extinction, rebellion, finite resources. The rest of the world, before long, is going to start telling golf yeah. what the rules are. We won't get to set them ourselves on the amount of land we take. And I wonder whether that is what the difference is between golf and F1. If they started making F1 cars... Couldn't race on the track because the tracks were too tricky. Mm. I don't think anybody would recommend that. What you do is change the track. I'm not sure. And that's what we've done with golf. I think they might. You know? Do you think? I wonder. Yeah, I wonder. Um, I think. Do you see the point? Get out. Uh, I think uh, there's a balance.
1: Yeah, it's a, there's clearly a balance. Um, you would have seen the tracks to Augusta
0: National. Over yeah, the fifth hole last year went back. Yes. 45 yards?
1: And they they have always found a way to do that, and I applaud them for doing it. And it's fantastic that they they do. They want to preserve exactly the same type of shots that the guys of yesteryear used to play and the same sort of clubs. Uh, Are they doing it? Well, I think there's still no. No (laughs)
0: No is the simple answer, John. You know,
1: there are probably... um, I I think it's less than double figures, golfers in the world. We all know who they are. You know, Brooks, Rory, Tiger, maybe less so Tiger, but uh, uh, champion uh, Dustin Johnson. They do wang it off the tee a long, long, long way. I would turn the argument around, and you used Royal Melbourne as an example. I didn't think there were too many people going sub-60 around there and yet Ernie's course record no, I take your point. Uh you know they they defended that that golf course mm. by making those greens very hard, very fast. Mm. And I thought it was brilliant. I really did because... Match know. play is
0: phenomenal. I think the President's Cup has, yeah. has, has turned Royal Melbourne out as proof positive that as a match play course it's difficult. To, but I think a stroke play tournament might be a different beast. We can talk about that yeah. if we want to disagree. I just wanted to get your thoughts on that. Uh, plenty of other stuff. You kind of alluded to it earlier. You were a decent player when you were younger. No, I'm not. You won, some, you, you won a decent sort of an amateur event and whatnot. Did you have aspirations early on to be professional? Yes. I know yeah. you said that they were fairly early, but yeah. what was it that you were aspiring to at that time? Because it's not what the kids aspire to now, is it? Which is to have a jet like Rory and be able to have a house Absolutely in the not. UK. And a, it wasn't all of that. What were you aspiring to?
1: Probably to play golf against the, the finest players in the world. And if I got paid for doing it as well, that would be brilliant. Uh, but thankfully, you know, that just that one short year caddying, and I realised, well, no, they're a lot better than I thought they were.
0: Because golf's cruel. Mm-hmm. It, it can send people mad, and you would yes. have seen it. Yes. Players who aren't probably good enough. Yeah. Sadly, some players who probably are good enough, but for whatever reason don't get the break at the right time to make it, mm-hmm. it can be very cruel. It can can ruin lives
1: can't oh i've I've seen a lot of them you know i've i've had guys crying on my shoulder at the qualifying school and it's it's not a pleasant thing to, to to have but you know i would hate to withdraw that dream from a person who does have the dream no that's right and that's uh that's why you know i hope that tour golf will continue i hope that you know the pga here will continue and um, you know, we will help people who want to aspire to becoming great players, to be the next Adam Scott, the, the next Greg Norman, um, you know, the next Peter Thompson. You know, let's let's uh, let's allow people to dream a little and, and have those dreams and help them.
0: Part of doing that here in Australia and in parts of Europe, the European Tour plays not an awful lot of golf in Europe anymore, is to allow people to see the players. You yes. know we're struggling in this part of the world to get the top line players in. it Do you see a solution? Is it going to look something like the Premier Golf League?
1: Um, I'm not sure whether, whether that's the right the the, the right vehicle.
0: Um, I think you understand that the, uh, yes. the premise of the question. Of if you can't yes. look at, if you can't climb the fence like Jeff Ogilvy and watch Greg Norman smack one down the sixth hole at Royal Melbourne West, how will you be inspired to be the next James?
1: I think we are. We, we, we're at uh, a situation where if people want to watch golf on television, they can,
0: and almost, almost too every much, it might be said, yeah, too. yeah, to the detriment of the game in some yeah. ways. Uh,
1: but they they're also going to be able to tailor it to their own uh, specifications uh, within the short space of time, and you're going to be able to watch the player that you want to see mm-hmm. uh, playing, um, and others. Um, but it, it, it's. We are fairly close to being off of that. that you know, pay-per-view is, is, I think, the
0: obvious choice. It's something that's going to happen Augusta eventually. did it last year. With all of us. Us. You, you could watch every shot yeah. from every player, if I recall, last year at Augusta, so you'd okay. only be refined and, and become more the... And,
1: you know, the, the, uh, the wherewithal is there. It's just a question of getting it right for everybody. And, um, you know, far better people than me are, are working on, on that right now. Uh, but I think that golf is in a, in, in a good place.
0: Professional golf. Oh, is, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Recreational absolutely. golf might have issues to think about. Let's play, um, let's play no time to think, just respond. Backstopping. Hate it. Can we stamp it out? And how? Uh,
1: we, uh, it's not a breach, um, but it needs to be discouraged. And we will be becoming a little bit more proactive in explaining why. You wouldn't do it in match play. Why would you do it in stroke
0: play? Has there been a cultural shift generationally, do you think, between – Mike Clayton often says it never happened when he played the tour in the 80s. It just was – it never happened. Now we seem to have – I think
1: there's a case of people we're wanting to, to, to be a mate with the guy they're playing yeah. with, and they see that as one way they can do it. It's because they can
0: afford it now, you yeah. see, John. There wasn't enough money to be able to afford to have mates way back in the 80s when times yeah. were good. When, when, exactly. When, when woods were wood. Yeah. players yeah. were nervous. It yes. was a better time for all yes. of us. Uh Guan Tian Lang <laughs> I knew you would sigh. And I don't blame you.
1: I wish him well. Yeah. Um he um I I hope hope that he does make it um with whatever he wants to do in golf. If he's still in golf, great if he if he's if he's turn pro and wants to become a, a, a touring pro, I hope he does. Uh, but if he wants to throw it all in and do something else, well, I do wish him well. And, um, you know, I hold nothing against him. He was, he was a charming young man,
0: extremely polite, and as I say, Extraordinarily talented too Yes he Was order. talented But for, for those who aren't aware you, It was you that pinged him two shots at the Masters yeah, Thanks as, you, but I was trying as to get that as an, well I'm sure, <laughs> yes. I'm sure it's a, an uncomfortable memory I've read the story about Just how hard you tried not to penalise him But ultimately you were left with no choice And it was an unfortunate incident That you hope some good comes from Which leads naturally to the next one Slow play Yeah
1: Yeah um That's been probably my number one subject for uh, the best part of my my employment with the European Tour. It's something. All
0: 45 years. Virtually.
1: virtually, uh, It's not a new thing. No, I've been trying to to work on on moving players around the golf course. Admittedly, when I first started, we had fields of 132. Then that was built up to 144, which is still a workable uh, number of players. Uh, And. I think this is, coming back to your point about the ball, should the ball be reined back, players need a bit more room, a bit more real estate to play golf now. And that relates in, in terms of time and their starting intervals. We actually do need 11 minutes now for three balls for the men.
0: The odd three-shot hole wouldn't and, uh, either, would it? Every no. five, you've got to wait for the green to clear. That's right, the but
1: then ball. you'll always have that, that a small
0: group ball. of sure.
1: players who will get it in two or, or will wait anyway. Yeah. Um, <laughs> the but recreational players We yeah. love to do Oh yeah we Lean on were. your
0: three wood From 280 Absolutely. Waiting for the green To clear before you top it yeah. <laughs> Exactly <laughs> But uh, no It's, it's uh, Hmm 45 years You haven't got an answer yet You're unlikely to come up With one during the course Of this podcast
1: I, I, I don't I don't think We're ever going to get no. Play a lot quicker But we're We're, we're working on things that. And we'll it's subjective assist. too Isn't
0: it Your fast is my slow Exactly
1: So there's there's elements of that as well. But the one thing we all do, and I I think we we should always bear this in mind, if we start in a competition and the group in front holds us up on the the second shot to the first, the one thing we all all do, some of us won't admit it, but we do, we slow down down. because we don't want it to happen on the second. And if it happens on the second, we'll slow down some more. And by this time, we're now holding up the group behind us. And they do the same thing. And eventually, you know, we've all slowed down. And that's the problem. Pace car. If we are going to, yeah, we need to sell it to everybody and get in
0: everybody's mind, this is what we're trying to do, guys. You need to try and support us. I'm not 100% sure this is true. I've researched and I think it is. It seems to be the case in the Nordic countries that when you sign up to a golf club to be mm-hmm. together, go. One of the things you have to do is some lessons with the professional, but also you learn about things like etiquette and keeping the game moving. Yes. Given that we know some of the slow players are <laughs> from those Nordic countries, yes. but, but more broadly speaking, could we as a golf culture learn from that? In Australia, if you want to play golf, you just turn up to the local course, you pay your money, and out you go. Mm. Nobody asks if you know anything about the game, and if you don't, you know you're not going to be quick do we educate golfers at the start enough?
1: You could always argue that, no, that's not the case. We, we, we ought to do more. I mean, I know how much we're doing for the professionals and they should know it anyway. Um, but we, we try our hardest to, to remind them of, of, you know, how they can improve themselves and, and speed up a little. And that's, um, uh, you know, yeah, I think we all could throughout the game.
0: The irony, of course, for professionals is every time it happens where one of them finds themselves first out and plays the game in three hours, they shoot 65. Yes. And the next week they go out take six hours and shoot 71 and they wonder every yes. single time it happens. Yes. So it's quite uh, yeah. quite bizarre. Lexi Thompson in the ANA. What was your take on that?
1: You mean the... Uh, the ruling at the ANA, the four shots. The four shots. Uh, it was the right ruling. Um. It the did. officials got
0: slayed publicly. Yeah, they did. Fairly, of course. But yeah,
1: it was it, it was one of those things. It it has led to a number of improvements and things that we do do. Uh, as a matter of course, we now do watch all um, broadcast uh, uh, television. Uh, we, you know, someone is 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 chosen each week to do that, or two, three people actually, because you couldn't do it oh, all good, no. in one go. You couldn't possibly concentrate them. And um, it's we we're, we're now doing it. The rules have also been changed, so they're they're much less stringent. On, They'd already on been changed, situation.
0: hadn't they? Had it happened the year before, she would have been removed That's from correct. the correct. She, she would have
1: been disqualified. DQ. Yeah.
0: Don't but following her
1: incident, we we formed a, a little subcommittee, yeah. and um, with the rules bodies, or they formed it, and we were part of it. And it was a case of, well, we removed those those, pel- those extra penalty strokes as well because mm-hmm. they were extra penalty strokes. She only got two, and then it was two for a scorecard. That's right. And um, I think that's that's what the the uh, the tour commissioners, you know, my boss and the bosses of the the other two, the the ladies' two and and the PGA Tour, they felt that the extra two just, you know, took it over the edge and and made it not a valid penalty.
0: As an official, I'm not sure whether you watched that live, but that surely must be the nightmare scenario on live international television, Sunday of a major, into the back nine to, to take the leader... And ping them with four shots. Do we need to be a little kinder to our rules officials? That's not good news for her to receive, but that must be no. awful news to give.
1: Yeah, it is. And um, you know, I, I've I've uh, I've had to tell a guy that he was disqualified when he was leading the golf tournament oh. um, after two rounds, and um, it, was, it was a guy called John Fote, and it was a long, long time ago in the, in the uh, German Open and he had, um, he'd failed to sign his scorecard. And it was one of those situations that it wasn't picked up by the the local recorder. They did not have a proper scoring tent. It was outside on a table uh, and just a sort of flimsy rope, a bit of string round this table. So the player came in and and kind of checked his scorecard, failed to sign it, handed it in, and then was mobbed by the... Uh, throng of spectators because he was the big invited American star, and i, um, I wasn 't that uh, enamored with the arrangements for the scorecards so I just thought i 'll well, just check through and I went through all the scorecards and I came to the winner and I, we'd got a, a bang on cut too we'd got sixty five on the number.
0: Well, there's a beautiful symmetry to that that only a few of you would understand. I would think, you're closing your eyes now. I can see you just going over in your mind. You know
1: what's happening, don't you? You understand this perfectly. So I see that his scorecard is not signed. So the first thing is I have to get hold of him and say, John, I'm terribly sorry, but, you know, there's your scorecard. It hasn't been signed. I'm afraid the penalty is disqualification. And uh, he understood. He he said a few words, which um, I'm (laughs) Anglo-Saxon. Which which I'm sure you understood. (laughs) Yes, I did understand very well. And, uh, yes, I I, I realised what I had to do. And um, then it was a case of trying to find the ten people who had left the golf club thinking they'd missed the cart to give them the good news that suddenly they were re-back in. And uh, only one player didn't, uh, and he had actually gone home, and I couldn't contact him. And uh, I think it was a Frankfurt flight, so it was quite easy to get most people back. Yeah. And um, we, we, as I say, it was kind of pre-mobile uh, phones, yeah. so it was, we
0: put out a message at the airport, and that got six of them back. And a message uh, at the airport. Now, there are yeah. people listening to this who honestly... Have never understood a world pre mobile phone or internet. That that is true. Absolutely. That's how long we've been at this. Absolutely. some of you don't know what a landline is. Yes. True. I've had a young what's a landline? (laughs) It's a phone you used to have in there. Does professional golf have too much influence on the rules of the game? Um.
1: Oh, that's, that's a question I haven't really thought of. <laughs> I, I, I'm very lucky to be invited to sit with the Rules of Golf Committee, and I'm not sure how much um, uh, influence I have um, through my, my chair at that meeting. Um, but I, I think we all work pretty well together. Uh, you see, what we are, if you like, the road testers of the <laughs> Rules of Golf pretty quickly. And um, whenever the, there is a big change, we have to get it to our members. You know, and get them to understand it, and you know, from the get go, from very early on on in the year. So it's, um, you know, we do obviously manage to um, uh, point out any potential error.
0: Very quickly, because we are, as I say, road testing. You get to say it and in full view of the public, too, under scrutiny, which is yeah. always the best way to test anything, isn't yes. it? Full view of the Absolutely. public. Absolutely. Here you go, John. Do your best. What was your take on some of the mocking of the new rules at the start of last year from some of the professionals? I thought it was disappointing and not helpful. But how did you feel about? It? I'm thinking it was particularly of Ricky and, Fowler and, and, and the Justin yeah. Thomas thing. And
1: I know. Uh, the, 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 the drop from knee height, that was the one that got most people because we'd, we'd been so used to uh, – you, you and I will remember when we used to drop over the shoulder, and people would laugh at you if you told them that now. Back when um, we had landlines.
0: Yeah. Before the absolutely,
1: internet. Mobile absolutely. phones, that's right. And then we dropped it from shoulder height in front of us, and that was relatively easy. But we had to stand in a certain way. We had to stand up straight, with our arm out straight and shoulder height. And people then tried to transfer that action to the knee drop and drop going sideways. Yeah. Well, that hurts.
0: Of course it does. You
1: know, and the body's not meant to go that way. No, it's not. (laughs) And I said, have you ever thought of bending
0: forwards? Have you ever teed up a golf ball? Yeah. You know, you lean forward. Have you ever taken a ball out of the hole? Yeah.
1: And um, so, quickly, you know, people realised, ah, there are other ways to drop it. And I think it's because they didn't really understand what was going on originally.
0: Is there a healthy relationship between players and the rules officials, do you think? I I sense that golfers were very quick to point out things that we don't like about the rules. Yes. Yes. You're an easy target, aren't aren't
1: you? Yes, they were very quick in, in, in coming forward with... Uh, problems with their problems solutions and um yes yeah, some yeah. some of the Not solutions but of course they'd all been <laughs> debated at length of course by the committee and they go no nah, don't really want to do that
0: to me and i heard this a couple of times i saw it on twitter in particular which as you probably know because i don't see you on there is just yeah. a cesspool of yeah. <laughs> that you don't really want to climb yeah. in, but there is some useful stuff this notion that you occasionally hear from professional golfers it's time for us to make our own rules why are we being uh, dictated to by amateurs? Yes. Are you an amateur? Uh, well, I
1: suppose I am.
0: I, As you know, he's a professional rules, I, I, Well, Exactly.
1: Um, but um, no, I think I, I think that's normally because it's a player who doesn't really understand what the rule is is there for, and what it was meant to do. And um, you know, normally when, when you sit down with these guys. Suddenly the light goes on, and oh right! Now I understand why. Now I understand
0: why. More important, somebody else gets a drop. And think. Well, hang on. Why is yes. he entitled to that? Sure why he, does he get that? That's exactly. Right. <laughs> Last couple of things I wanted to ask you about. I'm going to guess it would have been one of the most heartbreaking rulings you've ever made. Was Ian Woosnam at the Open in 2002? Yes. One too many clubs in the bag, and it was you that he had to come and ask, "What's the penalty?" Yes.
1: And he's—you um, would have grown up with him almost professionally. Yeah, I, I mean, he, he almost held so, him one at the first. Yeah, he made it two, but it was—it was one of these really weird situations where the um, the referees at the Open and and some of my colleagues do it. So we we have eight or ten of the professional referees joining with uh, the RNA committees uh, who who do that for the love of the game, and. A couple of those chaps, um, as was required or requested within the uh, advice to officials, is you should check with the players whether they've got the requisite number of clubs. And in some cases, you know, the answer coming back from the player was not very polite. What's that to do with and, you? Or uh, a
0: professional golfer. You know, who do you What's think sort of I, I am? am? Do you, you think know? I
1: am? Yeah. yeah, that sort of stuff. Which is, which is no good. Doesn't help anybody, does it? And no. So the chairman of the day said, We are not going to ask any player to count his clubs before he goes this week, please. Good lord. Okay, fine. <laughs> and then the second part of the perfect storm was that Raw rhythm starts with a par three. And Ian Woosnam was testing a driver. This is part three, if you like, for the per- <laughs> perfect story. Which is almost
0: the most standard
1: one player. shot off the lead <laughs> right. for yeah. the Open.
0: Why are you testing a driver? On a Sunday, you're mucking around with drivers before the last round. So
1: I- I've never had an answer to that one. No. Um, but, yeah, he birded the first, tied for the lead, walking to the second tee, and uh, the caddy said, uh, Woos is going to blip, blip, me yeah and uh i didn't really understand what he's talking about and when i caught up with them on the tee Woods turns to me and says um what's the penalty for an extra club for 15th club i said it's two shots per hole maximum four per round but we haven't started the second so it's just two for the first hole
0: now oh, finally some good news <laughs>
1: And that's when the club <laughs> went flying past my so eyes in, into different. a gorse bush. Yeah. And uh, it was very, very uh, considerately picked up by a BBC technician yeah. who took it to the, uh, the recording area. Wow.
0: I wonder where that club is now.
1: Be yeah. I don't think it made it home. No, I wouldn't. <laughs> I
0: wouldn't Do you believe in fate? That almost makes you believe in fate, doesn't it? Yeah, all, all of those circumstances. Probably, That's yes. almost unthinkable, isn't it? Yeah. There's almost not another open venue where you don't, Take one of the woods out. Well, you're at that end of the bag at least. Exactly. Was like, Poor old was he? he was a player in his day too, wasn't he? He, he was, was a, he was a uh, player of, of all sorts <laughs> <laughs>
1: at both ends of the
0: Beautifully spectrum. Beautifully put. Last thing I want to ask you about. This tournament here, the Vic yep. Open, yep. men and women together, and we've seen it yes. blossom since 2012. Yes. Uh, what's your take on that? What's the future of that? I know that we've got another similar event now on the European Tour this year in combination with the Ladies' European Tour. There was that really interesting test last year with the Jordan mixed open, the Senior Tour, the LET, and the Challenge Tour. Is there a future for this? Does there need to be a future for this? Well, later
1: later on, uh, of course, it's the same tournament Whereas here at the Vic Open, we're playing two different tournaments, the the men's tournament and the women's tournament, which is great. And and I'm all for it. Mm -hmm. Admittedly, it makes my day a little bit more difficult because we've got two golf courses. Mm -hmm. But we do have a lot of officials out this week, which is nice. And uh, so I, I, I don't think, you know, there's anything we will miss out on or the players will miss out on. Um, but I think it's brilliant. I mean, to you know, to come here—it's a fabulous place. I'm in mean, Bowen Heads. It's, it's, it's a great place, and clearly a, a golfing part of
0: the country. How's your I house mean, in the UK looking at the moment? This is a far more attractive outlook, I would yes, think, it, compared it, it to what you've got. Is. Yes, you've <laughs> got
1: the, 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 the leafless trees yeah, the and uh, slush and snow and the ice. The grey. Oh, yeah, it's sleet, awful. Yeah. So it's 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 beautiful being here and. Uh, As we alluded to before, the the golf courses are lovely and in in pretty good nick. So they're going to be tested this week.
0: Do us blokes do enough to promote and help and encourage women's golf? Um, Simply even just talking about it. I feel like if Rory occasionally just mentioned that he'd been watching the women's golf at some point and that he liked that player, it would do enormous things for the game.
1: It would, but we, we... We've never been very good at bringing it together before, but now we are. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And um, you know, I, I, I think our event in Sweden is going to be a, a challenge—one for us to make sure that we get a, a fair and, and, and equitable setup between both the men's and the women's. Because, you did a terrific job
0: at the Jordan event, I thought.
1: Well, yeah, and, and, and certainly we'll be using hopefully uh, Simon Higginbotham for that. Yeah. We also have another uh, tournament director whose who's, uh, daughter played uh, golf. Uh, tour a golf, so um, you know we're we're going to use those guys and their experience to help us, yeah. and obviously the officials from the LET, and uh, you know we, we it needs to be a, a pretty good equal test. Of course, because if it's not, then obviously we get we get all the heat, well, and that's going to be no good because we never want to be the, the
0: story. story. And it also doesn't do anything for the game. So even even if you don't get it quite right year one. It's important that people are patient, I yeah. think. Mm-hmm. These, are, this could be a, these could be really important events yes. going into mm-hmm. the future. If we want the game to look like the rest of the world yeah. and not just middle-aged white blokes like <laughs> yes. us, yes. then we need to start working to make that happen. John Paramore, it's been fabulous to chat to you. There's thousands more things I'd like to talk to you about, but it's been a joy. I haven't laid a glove on you. You are a master Thank at you. this sort of stuff. Really enjoyed it. Thanks for taking the time. Bless you. Well, what an asset to the game John Paramore is and has been for the best part of the last five decades. To do what he does on a weekly basis, yet retain the full respect of the very best players in the world, is testament to just how perfect he is for his chosen job. As you mentioned in the interview, John will retire in the next couple of years, and I think most who've encountered him will agree that golf will be poorer for that. Well, that's it for episode 13, but I hope you can come back in two weeks for episode 14 when we'll meet one of the game's most intelligent players who also happens to be a brilliant writer and an outspoken advocate for more respect for women in the game. That's England's Meg McLaren, next time on The Thing About Golf.